Holiday talking more or less. HTML is brought to you by the fine folks here at cageclub.me for all things movies, music, media, comics, holidays, and more. Check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Well, you know the season is very and bright, and it's the HTML holiday special time. Pico, Kevin, and Jonah bringing you that holiday smile. Also, Joey. started like any other battle. Lines were drawn. The parties involved knew what was at stake. Would there ever be joy at the holidays again? Would the presents each individually be wrapped with care? The answer is of course no, because the stakes for this rap battle were holidays forever. After this, there's no more holidays. That's the stakes involved in this, right? Because that is how dramatic every fucking person on Freeform's rap battle was. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is of course Holiday HT. This is our Cage Club office party, so we had to have a little bit of everybody, and by a little bit of everybody, I mean exactly two people. Come help out and join us. This is part three of our amazing investigation into Freeform's truly Citizen Kane Rosebuddian rap battle. So to talk about all sorts of tinsel and garland and tape and paper and presents that no one opens, we have the lovely, the beautiful, the talented Jonah from X's for Podcast. Hello, everyone. And then we have the guy who loved Gone in 60 Seconds so much that he started a podcast about Fast and the Furious. We have a guy who can't tell the difference between Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise and has accidentally interpolated their filmographies into one giant show and can't tell where one begins and one ends. That is, of course, our fearless leader, the one, the only, Joey. Hello, hello, hello. Now, is that how you got into the Fast and the Furious? Was it like Gone in 60 Seconds just like tickled your fancy? No, I don't remember exactly how it was. I think it was more of a, uh, hey, we could watch the same eight movies that we know that we like over and over again and just keep doing that forever, and that works for us. Oh, I thought you were asking him if he started the podcast because he couldn't tell if Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks were in the Fast and the Furious movies. I got really confused for a second. Well, so here's a little bit of a sclusi. On our Too Fast, Too Forever Facebook page, I made the cover photo, which is basically Brady Bunch style with all the different character faces in place of where everybody is, and there's Alice in the middle says NNB Davis Love and Alice. It. But we put Sway, Angelina Jolie, from Gone in 60 Seconds on there, and no one has ever commented on it. So I think people just sort of assume either she's from the universe, or maybe it's Charlize Theron, because they have the same kind of white girl dreadlock hair. But I don't know why people haven't commented, but if you look at Facebook.com slash Too Fast Too Forever, there is a blend of The Fast and the Furious and Gone in 60 Seconds. So there is a little bit of exclusive for the HTML listeners. And if you write into us, having caught that, you can absolutely be the recipient of the no prize whatsoever. I'll sign off on that. Over on X's for Podcast, when someone says something that is painstakingly accurate, we give out an award. We give out Dazzling Muties. And the most amazing thing about Dazzling Muties is they are as anachronistic as they come because we record way ahead. It's part of the magic of shows like this or we'd go crazy. Uh, except this. This is being recorded like days before it goes up. And Shh, it's a surprise. So nothing was a greater surprise for listeners, I have to imagine, 
scene than when Dazzling Muties, which make their, oh man, we just came up with this amazing bit debut in like March, and we've been giving them out on We Are Krakoa since November. Wild. So that's what happens when you record super out of order. But yeah, I think this whole situation earns a dazzling muty. Kevo, when we first got together, we had certain very strict rules about reality television. We hated it. Yeah, pretty much most of it with a fiery passion. We've all had our share of special reality shows. I know for you it was Danny from Real World New Orleans. Oh yes. For me it's that gif of Theo's junk flopping around in that Real World Road Rules challenge where it's clear that he has Theo and Theo. And that was definitely a thing for me. But I didn't really get into reality competitions with a fervent passion until one Miss Heidi Klum brought Tim Gunn, Mina Garzilla, an orange popsicle, and rotating guest hosts into my life. Kevo, you, Jonah, and I spend our weekends binge-watching Project Runway and playing Switch. Now, when you started this whole endeavor, you were not a fashionista, but you have made the leap with me from Project Runway to cooking shows to, I guess, competitive gift-wrapping shows. Whatever this nonsense was. Talk to me about this white nonsense and its role in your life. Do you feel like you have found new ways to be happy because of rap battle? Only in sort of a, at least I don't have these problems sort of way. There are people that we ended up rooting for on this show. It's not like we sit here in judgment and think these people are scum. Gosh, the pageantry and needlessness of this art is just really fascinating. And I kind of desperately need a second season of this because I want to see who they can pull when people know this show exists and are more actively and eagerly trying to get onto it. This was just like a bunch of people that they found probably who all responded to the same Google ad. It's not really quite the same. The first season of any reality competition show, you never really know what you're doing. Oh God, the dark version of this origin story is everybody got doxxed and they found didn't get cast on making it season two in their browser history and they like messaged them and they were like, are you Christian or for Jewish? And if for Jewish, how for Jewish? How presents are you? How can we Hanukkah bush? Can we can we take it there? Joseph, just it is short for Joseph, right? It's not like Jobert or anything. Correct. Terrific. So, Jobert, when we started this project, Wait, which Jobert we you started rapping. Oh, you of course, because his name is Jonah. Okay. So, Jobert, when we started this project, did you realize that this was going to be sort of like the summation? You know, this was I came to you and I said, "Okay, I loved making now and again with Chris podcasts and I would like to do a show with editing." So, can I do a show? And you were like, sure. So then we got access for podcast. And I was like, but I want to do more. And you were like, sure, just about anything but those superhero movies. And I was like, what about those superhero movies? And you were like, fuck, fine. And only if it's for Kevo, because that's usually what everyone says. <laughs> that is kind of exactly what it comes down to, right? So we we do that. And you have been our most consistent guest star across our shows. And Joey, I just love having you. But it's almost like, you know, when you're, trying to do like a, a plank for too long and you can start to feel when your muscles know that they're done but they haven't given up yet sure there's there's a moment about halfway through the second episode where i can hear you give up 
Oh, I mean, I gave up on rap battle like within ten minutes of the first episode. Like, I've been, I've given up like ten hours ago. Like, because we recorded for like three hours, I watched this for six hours. I gave up on rap battle hours and hours and hours ago. The fact that my voice did not belie me or that it did not betray me until the middle of episode two is actually like a compliment. I think that is a that's a good thing. So you began your podcasting career. So we are in the we are ending the year of our Lord Robert Downey Jr. twenty nineteen. Now, what year? did you begin your podcasting career? So the Cage Club Podcast Network began in 2015 when that's when Cage Club kicked off. But I had a podcast, a little known podcast way before that, back in 2012 and 2013 called Sports for Starters, which no longer exists on the internet. The episodes are buried somewhere on the Cage Club servers. So they technically exist, but they are not findable on iTunes anymore. But I will say, all the way back in 2005, I had a friend tell me, we should do a podcast about Harry Potter. And I was like, who would ever want to listen to us talk about anything? And I still wonder, who would ever want to listen to us talk about anything? Joseph, Jobert, Joe Smith, or Jonica, if for Jewish, or for anybody celebrating anything like Yule, in which that case you are Joe Yule. Oh, I was going to say Jewel. But when we started this whole question in the year uh, 1732, when this whole thing began, and it was the inspiration for Hamilton, when this whole thing began a million years ago, could you have ever even fathomed 2005 Joey? How old was Joey in 2005? I would have been uh, 17, almost 18. Is that right? Yeah, I was 19, so I don't know. But so, so I got to know, could you have ever anticipated the joy of rap battle? Joy is an interesting word choice. I do feel like this is kind of, you know, in the 14 million universes that Doctor Strange predicted, this is the one in which we wound up the four of us here on this evening talking about rap battle going way too in-depth. It's just, we've got uh, Doctor Strange holding up the one finger and we know exactly what that means. It means we have to have to talk about these this goddamn television show for another hour. And Scarlett Johansson plays Tilda Swinton playing an Asian man. It all makes sense now. Of course. Jonah, our precious Jonah, you alternate your time between this and like building rocket ships or something. And so I guess my question for you is how do you feel that rap battle makes you a better engineer? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, if Charlie Rose were still on the air, he would be still asking questions like this. In the context of gift wrapping, I learned many different ways to use a drill to make a hole to put lights through things because just sticking lights on stuff is basically engineering, especially what I do of electric engineering. So are we all holiday engineers when we put up our trees and our holiday lights? Yes. Amazing. Jonah, you've made us all smarter. Please continue. I I don't think I did anything, but... You did everything. This has been... This is what Christmas means to me. This is all I want for Christmas. This is Christmas shoes. Okay, but so he brought up stupid lights, so is it time to talk about the first stupid challenge of this show now? Because I'm really excited to talk about this first stupid challenge. So, on the first day of stupid challenge, our stupid challenge brought to us... Oh, but no! First, we have a recap! So, first person eliminated, Parker, by Parker. Second person eliminated, our precious angel, gorgeous Anthony, who is just too too beautiful for this world, if you ask me. The third challenge saw the departure of Mia, whose job this is. The fourth challenge saw the world set to bring down Olga! I'm still not entirely recovered from that. That's reality TV 101, is it not? I thought they were going to extend the series and just make it Olga versus the world. How does she not have her own show already? 
her and Gumby and the other dog is like the Osborne that wouldn't sign off on the rider to be in the show. I love that you say the other dog too, because she only ever fucking said Gumby's name. That poor other like Maltese. <sighs> yes. And what everyone doesn't know is the other dog speaks three languages and has a PhD from Oxford in Shakespearean comma usage. That other dog could sing in five different languages at eight different octaves, as well as choreograph a whole number. The other dog is the only person to have written more X-Men comics than Chris Claremont. That one was sort of a very specific target (laughs) audience, but you're all in on it anyway, so it's cool. Kevo, you want to talk about this challenge, right? Well, you recapped, which leaves us with Joe, the... Christmas elf, Gigi. We described her in the first episode as her own woman. Yes. Gigi looks like she's trying to be cast in Dreamgirls. A high school production, but yes. Yes, she is. Okay. In a very white town. We then have Anita, who is Nico's pick for winner. She's everything to me. There is something really, like, you know, I don't think people really understand what the Jersey Shore is. People really don't understand the area I'm from, and that's fine. We're more New York adjacent than we are New Jersey, but I live right at the tip of what's labeled on all of the exits as shore points. And there's a certain magical tacky that intersects at Manhattan, Mm -hmm. Staten Island, Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, and everything north of Hazlitt in Jersey just south of the Menlo Park Mall so kind of like anything you can get to from one or nine and just like right above Tom's River yeah and it's all this sort of like tacky perfectly lit turnpike Toys R Us dyed blonde but you can very clearly still see the roots very dark eye makeup putting eyelashes on your car even though you're 30 very specific about Italian or Sicilian and as they should be heritage is important yes that is who Anita is to me. Anita is a Mariah Carey song and a cup of soup and a Wheatsy Bat book on a winter night. She is home. I really appreciate her (laughs) aesthetic. I just think she's great and I hope that we do continue to see her have a career in these sort of shows going forward. Now when you say these sort of shows, can you name any one other show that is anything like this show whatsoever that she would ever possibly be featured on? Making it on NBC, HD TV has a number of next top crafter kind of competitions. I uh, tip my cap to you. I forgot that there are other shows, I guess, sort of something like this. I know it's tangential, but give me what I want. <laughs> Basically the same thing. Same idea. Yeah. And a lot of people who will go on a reality competition for their art will frequently make the rounds to other shows, depending on what their interests are. So, following Anita, who Nico just endorsed for Miss Universe, apparently. <laughs> But with a decidedly diner flavor. (laughs) At like 2 a.m. Oh, God. We have Eddie. How do we describe Eddie? Somebody set Eddie's smile too tight and it eventually got to his eyes. He looks like he spends year round at Palm Springs and he enjoys it. Wilton Manners, get gayer. In an early episode of this program, Eddie said that he sees the word fun as an insult, and he doesn't think there's anything wrong with this. I think that and the sweaters tell you everything that you need to know about Eddie. The one thing you do need to mention about Eddie is he is spectacularly talented. No, 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 no. You forgot he was bullied for being a gay fat kid. 
And he worked for Martha. That's true. He is also very dramatic, and he is very talented. He's also about to suffer an absolute mental collapse on these two episodes. Ted Bundy had gone to a psychologist because he felt gender dysphoria, and the psychologist, like, talked to him about it and explained how, you know, that's a thing, and if you want to do something about this, we can do something about this in whatever direction makes you feel good. And in that moment, Ted Bundy felt so disgusted with the freedom of choice that they just decided they could kill everyone and it wouldn't matter and that's how it all happened that's the moment i saw in eddie's eyes he did look a little serial killery it's unfortunate eddie i know you're listening because i also know you're a friend of the pod or maybe enemy of the pod i don't know neutral we'll see after this episode no no and we're just really talking about how the producers portrayed him because it is a very special thing to remember that these shows are designed to be manipulative i don't know that i would actually get along yeah i do i would be best friends with anita we would go shop with Janet Jackson to flea markets. But anyway, you know, the producers are creating caricatures of people by taking their worst moments and exploiting them with a score. So did I really think that Eddie had a Ted Bundy moment? I mean, I should have called him Ed Bundy, but no, I don't. I do think that the realities of being on a reality show made him feel kind of funky. Oh, so does that mean that you don't actually hate Kimberly then? Our final remaining contestant to introduce? She tried to fool me with the rocks that she got. I just, okay, it's not... I don't know. I had too many class mothers exactly like her, and I have trouble rooting for her. She is mom slash PTA president, and don't you forget it. And you know what? Same. I feel that same vibe as a kid who grew up with ADHD. Those moms are not usually kind to little weirdos. And so, especially knowing that this is a little weirdo genre of activity, seeing someone who is very, my name is Karen, get me the manager, in an arena like this. I get my own hackles up as well. I hear where you're coming from, man. And it kind of comes back to that moment where she was like, my chain is faster than yours, you little gay bitch. (laughs) And that's not what she said. But like, she was like, I don't know, man, maybe I'm just better at things than you are. And I was like, that's not attractive. And for the record, it's that her chain is just a little faster and stronger. Maybe like a bike chain? I don't know. I think she got confused as to what the chain does. You think it was the bike that Joe wrapped? You mean partially wrapped. (laughs) (laughs) There is no reason to finish my joke. Dazzling beauty. So the first challenge of episode five was that everyone had to wrap a gift themed to a holiday. There were only three holidays for the five competitors, because, you know, that's a thing, I guess. Two were Hanukkah, two were Christmas, and one was Kwanzaa. This Kwanzaa situation, you know, okay, I really love that Kwanzaa was represented, and it really highlighted for me that in a group of five finalists, there were no black contestants remaining. And it just kind of made me go back to the casting, because I said to myself, you know what? Maybe I'm being kind of hard. No, there were six white folk. There was Anthony, who does count himself as white, but I think he is technically like Filipino, but you know, not really. He makes fettuccine. He said it himself. And then there were two black women, Parker and Mia. The first three episodes saw the three contestants of color eliminated one by 
one like this was some sort of late 90s fucking horror movie. Well, you did say you were going to treat this episode series like this was a horror movie. So in the end, you were right, weren't you? And I mean, like, you could have hit up Chinese New Year. And you could have hit up any other number of celebrations. And that's not a shot at Kwanzaa. Please keep Kwanzaa in there. That's a shot at two Hanukkah, two Christmas. Hanukkah needs a lot of representation because Hanukkah doesn't really get a fair amount of representation. I'm trying to find a way to say, like, it was something-ist. Mainstreamist. Stop being such a mainstreamist. It was weird. It was and weird. I'm really, I am so happy that Sherry was so happy with the representation of Kwanzaa on the show that she was brought to tears. Like, I'm so happy for her. I kind of just wish there had been more and that the representation that it had gotten hadn't been sort of a clueless white lady saying, I don't know, I guess, because Kimberly was assigned Kwanzaa, Eddie Christmas, Anita Christmas, Gigi Hanukkah, and Joe Hanukkah. The statement clueless white lady has more to do with the cultural representation of Kwanzaa and its inaccessibility to white audiences. I just really feel like this highlighted for me the ways in which a lot of the programming I like still remain really exclusionary to anybody who doesn't look like me. And that's not something I want in my shows. I want more diversity. I think about the fact that I grew up on Melrose Place and Melrose Place wrote out its one black regular in the first season and didn't get another black regular. What the fuck is that? We have room for all sorts of gift wrappers, right? And I just, I don't know, it really bothered me. Do you think that the idea of gift wrapping is so inherently wasteful? Probably is the type of activity, the type of career that someone of privilege would likely aspire to or opt for, that if you're not raised in an area, in an environment that has, you know, offers you the freedom to do whatever you want, that you just have to make a, get an honest living and make a dollar. Like, is there something to, like, I think the idea of gift wrapping and a gift wrapping competition show is inherently very, very white and very, very, you know what I mean? Like, does, it, does this make any sense? No, it does. And we've called it white nonsense since the preview for the fact that we were going to be covering this at all. We've been calling it white nonsense this entire time because as we frequently point to for as much as we think, you know, the art is pretty and we respect the craft, it's an exercise in excess and opulence and kind of waste. <coughs> One of the things that's important to remember is it's not that young black America doesn't have interest in the arts and recreation. It's that frequently American citizens of color are treated as second class in terms of the availability of and access to these arts. And I would love to know more, like in a really honest way, I would love to know what black pageantry in holiday celebration like this looks like. What is the black American modernized voice, which by virtue of how black American culture was created, it exists as a homogenization of so many voices and perspectives. I'm really fascinated to know what black rap battle is like. I can only imagine that they actually rap while they rap. It's the dream, isn't it? Oh my god, if it could be hosted by the dream, I would love it more than anything. So, me being the electrical master that I am and announcing that everyone who decorates a Christmas tree is a Christmas engineer. Festive near? <laughs> sure, we'll go with that for now. Ooh, decor engineer. The second part of this challenge is also incorporating lights and not just stick lights on it. They want them to use the lights creatively. And I thought that was very fascinating that this is happening so late in the competition because while I understand using lights for a gift isn't always that practical, a lot of this has been focusing on decoration itself as opposed to just wrapping. 
everyone there should know how to rap. That's a basic skill. But I really was wondering why this wasn't included sooner. And I think its inclusion is very much further from rapping and gift rapping than I would have probably expected from the series. And I agree. I don't know why we didn't see challenges like this sooner. But I love lights. I have lights up in our office. I have lights up in our bedroom. I've always loved Christmas lights. So, you know, that part of it was fun for me. I don't really think I loved a lot of what we saw, to be honest. So much of it was just like, look, there are lights. And like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I almost wonder if Mia was still around, if she would have done like, it's a garden hose, right? Made of lights. This way she could have just piled the lights up. <laughs> I like that. She does do this professionally. Maybe she would have known what to do. I agree with you, Kevo, your assessment that nobody really stood out to me. I guess the person that like maybe was a little more imaginative and tried to push the boundaries was Eddie with putting his lights out of the box, which was a specific tip I believe Carson gave. But nobody really like pushed levels of creativity with the lights specifically. I think having a two-in-one challenge for a Swift gift challenge was just weird and a waste. I really loved and Nico's gonna get so excited. I loved Anita's, the way that she had the green stacked boxes with the lights. It was a really stunning interpretation of a Christmas tree. I don't know why both Eddie and Gigi just like stuck branches on theirs. I'm not sure what effect they were going for. And of course Joe had to use his fucking signature fans and Kimberly's won. She won this competition. You know, Kimberly winning is kind of okay for me because even if I don't know that I appreciated everything about her Kwanzaa celebration. It wasn't for me. And I don't mean like, oh, it wasn't for me. I mean, no, the intent wasn't for me. The intent was to create a beautiful representation of a holiday I honestly don't know enough about. And if Cheryl says it's beautiful, then it's beautiful. And at the end of the day, I think we've pretty much all agreed that none of the other ones blew any of us away. So yeah, sure. It's Cheryl's show. Give it to her. Now, Joey, I have a question for Go you. For it. How would the character cast of Fast and the Furious do this challenge oh that's actually not a bad question considering the lights yeah so the lights, I mean, there's there's an overt Christian symbology running throughout most of the Fast and the Furious. Dom Toretto, Vin Diesel's character, has a very prominent cross necklace. They go down to Rio at one point. There is a Christ the Redeemer statue in basically every establishing shot. There is uh, one of our past guests who wrote for Yahoo wrote a thing about how Dom might be a Christ figure. So there's definitely... A I'm thing... sorry, wait, hold on one second. What's a Yahoo? You know, it was that thing that was worth a lot of money and then they ran into the ground and then it got sold for not very much money. Oh, Enron. Yes. So it would definitely be a Christmas-themed. And I think there'd be a lot of crosses. I think the lights would definitely be somewhat in the form of headlights. I think that there would also be some kind of orange and blue to symbolize the Nas canisters, jet propulsion through the engine, fuel injected, speed boosting. I think it would be obviously very fast. I think there would be a lot of very strong, striking colors. Do you think something about it would be very scary? Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, you're so fucking proud of yourself. You have no idea how many times when we record too fast, too forever, and Joe Mr. says something Man. about being fast, and I'm like, and furious, too. Like, every time he says it. So I'm right there with you. I was hoping you oh would Oh my god, it. that's the most fun game! It's the best, it's the best. So I think it would be Christmas-themed, I'm seeing blue and orange, I'm seeing headlight-themed, 
I'm seeing... I don't know that it would top Kwanzaa, because Kimberly's gift made Cheryl cry, so that was sweet to see. I don't know if it was really because of the fact that she did a good job as much as just the fact that, that it was represented on TV, but uh, that's neither here nor there, yeah. because I like Kimberly, and I was glad that she won. And speaking of crying, there are two points that I would like to mention before we move on to this second challenge, and the first one involves crying as a follow-up to the shit show drama fest that was the elimination ceremony at the end of last episode, where I I think the only person who didn't scream was Joe because he was crying. Yeah. This episode had Eddie confronting Kimberly over being called a bully, and Kimberly was not really having any of it. Well, as we all know, there are no fat bullies. I feel like this confrontation is a very interesting example of the way that the producers are framing this because they want to make Kimberly seem the bully and then she hits back with what is very clearly like a locked and loaded retort that just shuts Eddie down immediately, right? Like it's just, oh, then you're going to stop calling me wicked and all too perfect and all that. It's just, they're like, the other attractive blonde lady, let's make her the villain. And then Kimberly's like, no, like this is not, like I am not the victim here. You're as bad, if not worse than I am. And what's really fascinating about it for me is we did point out in our our second episode, there's a lot we feel like we're not being told in this narrative. Yeah, I don't exactly really truly think that Kimberly is a villain. She does not strike me as the nicest, friendliest, warmest person, and there is something very facade about the whole PTA motherhood thing in general to me as someone who was a problem child, but I don't think that she's some kind of horrible monster. I think Eddie was probably even encouraged to go over and talk to her with the producers knowing that Kimberly would not actually be be responsive. You know, and Jonah, I feel like that's something you probably see a lot in your fandom, being a fan of Drag Race. You probably have a lot of person versus their character. I know Titus Burgess said that he's felt at times in interviews like the people feel as though they're interviewing Titus Andromedon, not Titus Burgess the person. And I have to assume the queens and dolls on Drag Race often find that that is the problem as well. Yeah, so a popular drag queen that came out of the show, Lagandra Estranja, was consistently called out by the judges as well as other contestants for being fake and having this fake voice and personality when she was just trying to be herself. And it was a really upsetting thing to watch looking back because you see this person go through a psychological breakdown multiple times being told you're fake when they're just trying to be themselves. It's a similar idea of what you're seeing here, when there's a conflict between two people, producers will want to milk that for all that it's worth. And for at least 90% of Eddie's apology, he didn't say, I'm sorry. He only said it at the very end. And it cuts the confessional of, oh, I feel better. Well, yeah, because you weren't trying to apologize to help Kimberly feel better. You were apologizing to make yourself feel better in order to relieve yourself of that shame and guilt you felt because she called you out for being a bully. You can also see the producer in intervention with Kimberly being like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. It's very easy for Bruce to say, do you really think he was being genuine? I don't think he was. And then cut to her saying like, I don't buy this one thing. I don't trust you. Yeah, because again, we're not passing judgment on real people. We're not discussing Kimberly mom. We're not discussing Eddie entrepreneur. We're discussing the characters created by these reality shows. But every now and then there's sort of a, a moment that that hops out at you. Kevo, you had some, uh, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Point number two. And on the subject of things that would be bandied about on Drag Race, the drill comments that Eddie makes when they're doing this light challenge, they actually kind of went over my head. It was everyone else who was like, holy shit. Eddie makes some comment about who he hasn't drilled a box in years. You and Jonah got it. I did not think of it that way. And when you pointed to it that way, I am a little surprised that it got through on Freeform because they are weird about some weird stuff. I'm still kind of befuddled at like what age range or demographic that this show is for because it feels like this is the kind of show that you could sit down with your family on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, you know, fire up the old Hulu on the old Fire Stick sponsored by Amazon.com and just watch this show and then all of a sudden there's a joke about drilling a box and it's like, wait, what? Who Who is this for? Like, is this, like, why? I feel like a lot of this and I think that it's the kind of the through line that we're talking about with the conflict is the producers not necessarily knowing what show they want to make. And I think it's an inability to necessarily tell a cohesive story or, you know, sketch out drama and conflicts from start to resolution. I think it's not being able to really kind of nail a consistent tone that I would not watch a season two of this. But I think if they did a season two of this, I think that they would be more refined in what they do and sort of have either a more adult theme or a more kid-friendly theme because it sort of straddles the line between the two. And I think everything could just use a little bit more polish and a little bit more professionalism just in terms of being able to tell a story in the reality competition sense. Originally, the first season of Drag Race, uh, it was kind of a parody of Top Model. And then as Drag Race continued on, it was able to lean more into the drag. Here, you can see where they don't know what they want to do yet. And you're right, Joey. It really starts to show where they let certain jokes slide. They don't know what they want out of this show yet. And that's part of a first season, I think, is you got to find your feet a little bit. It's part of why I'd be curious to see a second season just to see what direction they end up going, but I don't know if I would end up sticking around for a third. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with all of you, but I'm in through All Stars International. Olga was going to win All Stars, but her galaxy. (laughs) She's going to win all the stars. And what's wrong with us is exactly the basis of our second challenge, which is, I think, one of the biggest monuments to opulence and waste that the show does, which is the hide your gift challenge. Now, as opposed to earlier when we had the challenge where you embrace the shape of your gift, here we had a challenge where you had to hide what your gift was. And... Some of these are just so fucking weird and dumb and, like, shocking. Shocking. We literally gasped. Oh, my God. The scale of it. Oh, my God. It's enormous. So I want to run through it real quick, and then we can, yeah. Gigi was given a helmet that she wrapped into a giant pink, purple, and orange cone with small world foliage on it. So I guess kind of a Christmas tree, but... Very Mary Blair, happy holidays. On fire? Yeah, very Mary Blair Christmas. Joe got a pogo stick that he wrapped into a giant baggy Christmas tree. Kimberly received a blender that she wrapped into a golf club bag. Eddie received an umbrella that he wrapped into a palm tree. And Anita was given 
given a tennis racket that she wrapped into a bench with small gifts on it and like a grassy base to it so like all of these are fucking bizarre <laughs> in the first place but like we literally screamed when we saw the size of Gigi's. it was it's it's a motorcycle helmet and it's a giant fucking like it's taller than our actual christmas tree is the size of this thing it's wrapped in. and it's this giant orange and purple and red pink cone and again what is with the obsession with these colors did i not get the memo that these are the new christmas colors red and green i thought that that was like a thing there's others sure but these this this orange and purple and pink that keeps coming up it's a very la to miami overnight red eye christmas i want that movie or concept album I do want to point out that this challenge has the best banter I've ever heard on any television show ever. And by best banter, I mean how was this left in the final cut? I want to say I think it's Cheryl and Carson, maybe? I don't know. It doesn't matter. One of them says, neither one of them executed the challenge very well. The other says, and you needed to do that in the challenge. (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? It means they needed to do it in the challenge. Joey, I don't know what you're confused by. He's an engineer, so... It means that some people... People should be working off of a script, and they're not. I heard that, and I said, no, 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 no. I couldn't have possibly have heard that right. Like, this brings me back to a a Lewis Black joke from the 90s, where he's sitting in a diner, and he talks about... Yes, oh, this is my favorite joke. If it wasn't for that horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. I never would have spent that year in college. And I heard this banter, and I said, no, 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 no. There is no way... Like, even on a show of smaller budget compared to, say, Drag Race, or Top Model, Project Runway, or MasterChef, or whatever... There's no way that on a show on national television, they would allow this kind of banter (laughs) to make on the final cut. The judges. The judges. An Emmy-winning judge. And I was like, no, I I heard it right. And I think that was the moment where, like, I wanted to die more than I've ever wanted to die before. Because I was like, this... I don't, I don't understand any of this. Like, and I understand that this is the show that gave us beep-boop, trains not going anywhere. <laughs> but, like, I'm so used to hearing stupid speeches from contestants on these show. Yes, regular humans are idiots. Thank you for the reminder. We should all hate ourselves. But, like, the judges and the hosts on these things are supposed to be these polished, scripted people. So when you hear something like that and you're like, who, who didn't edit around that. It makes me call into question the quality of these judges' ability to judge something in the next episode. But more bizarre than even how bad that banter is for me is how shocking it is that Wanda isn't in any of those confessionals. No, she's not. It's not in the spirit of what they do as rappers, so... (laughs) Is it common for these kind of shows for the judges to get confessionals? I feel like that is a bizarre choice that I've never seen before. It is. I've seen it, but sparingly. I I have not seen it before. As the series goes on, they are preparing more and more of the show, and I don't know why. Do you know what it is? It's it's a bizarre blend of two different genres of this sort of crafting competition show, because so much of this reminds me of, like, Project Runway, where there is... 
sort of a wall between the judges and the competitors, but then it also embraces things from shows like Worst Cooks in America and Making It, where you're also their mentors and you're encouraging them. And that's a really hard line to straddle, and I think it's what created this weird effect where, you know, it it does feel weird that they're doing both. Season two, it comes back and inexplicably, Charles Carson and Wanda are the contestants, and each week they have a special guest host? It's weird. So in a case of what I like to call manifesting your destiny, in the previous episode, when Kimberly started sewing her fabric, Joe said, I have never touched a sewing machine. Why would you ever be using sewing machine on this fabric? It's paper. We're wrapping. And when the judges came for the walk around to give Joe hints of what to do to try to help him win the challenge, so that's what they do, Carson says, so you're going to show these safety pins. And Joe's like, why did he call me out like that? Well, if you knew how to sew, you wouldn't have had to worry about those safety pins, Joe. And like during the mentor portion of the episode is when they're supposed to call you out on the safety pins. That's that's their job to make sure that they don't have to deduct points from your like, ugh. Well, this weird reality show set in Shit's Creek gets even stranger because this episode has a rap battle fifth episode first. Never before in the history of rap battle has there been a fifth episode of a season that ended quite like this. The great Scyther god Cthulhu needed a sacrifice, but he could not decide. Did he want Gigi, her own woman, or did he want Joe, the crying elf? Yeah, he went for the Christmas elf to like the, the, like the sobby. He cried a lot, and he even like screamed. Oh my god, he's sobby, the house elf. <laughs> but like, remember when they drop all the paper on them? He like screams like he's in a horror movie. This is a horror movie. He's scared of everything. But so th- there's a wrap-off between these two bottom contestants. It's a motherfucking wrap-off. Yes, the challenge. Kimberly won the competition. Because of gender second roles. place going to Eddie. And you know what? Like, I think if you like that sort of 90s surface read on gender normality, if you subscribe to this sort of wisteria lane definition of dichotomy in home gender norms, this was really good. I just don't get it. Like, here's a package wrapped like a golf bag. JK, it's a blender. Like, I don't get the joke. You think it's $600, but it's 40 That's the joke. But so there is a wrap-off between Joe and Gigi, where they are forced to compete using scraps from previous competitions. So apparently, Joey, this answers your question. The gifts did get unwrapped, and viciously it appears, but we never saw it. <laughs> Why? That should be a web series. I do feel like as as the show goes on, we just get more questions and fewer answers. The fact that there is the third challenge here, the wrap-off at the end here, like, when the second challenge's judging ends with 14 minutes to go in the episode, I was like, wait, wait, hold, hold, wait how much How much time? And that's 14 minutes of the 42, none of the hour. Like, there's a third of the show left. I was like, who paced this this poorly? Like, I feel like as the proverbial gift gets unwrapped, I guess, it's not getting satisfying. It's just like a box inside a box, and we're never getting close. Do not drill the box. And who we're not getting any closer 
to a satisfying conclusion. It's just, let's just confuse people. And I also felt like Joe and Gigi were told to like be original, embrace creativity, and you did the very opposite of what they were told. Like, I'm just like sitting there going, uh, no. The fact that Carson said, if Joe does another fan, I am gonna die. I died. Thank you, Carson. Ultimately, Joe was out, and Gigi got a reprieve. I'm okay with this. Again, going into the finale, I'm all about Anita, but Gigi's a strong second place for me. I weirdly liked Joe's more because I felt like Anita's was just a box wrapped in gauze and like if you can see the present inside the present that's not my favorite wrapping job but like I also like Gigi more so I wasn't gonna complain either so it's you know it's a weird thing there's also a very odd sequence where they show the judges just doing a bunch of weird shit while they are waiting for this competition to finish and the weirdest part of the whole montage is the fact that they were able to do all of these things inside of 30 minutes do yoga and they're like having a dance party oh my god i would have been so tired they banged santa finally so then i was a little confused because the penultimate episode of this series was about the opposing forces of good and evil represented by garland and tinsel and weirdly enough their mother was played by allison janney who was playing mother christmas i was really confused because they were trapped on the present and there were all of these flash sideways. They were trapped on this island of misfit toys. Exactly. I personally found myself a little lost in the plot. So, God save me. Did anybody think that the wrong person went home? Did no, anybody I... think Sabi the house self needed to be in the finale? Um, they like tried to give Joe the underdog edit. He really like they tried giving him like, you know, he's just this young guy who's emotional and sensitive but like he can do it and he makes these fans <laughs> and, his, and his goodbye was so complex it was like a backdoor pilot it was um something Joey were you sad to see your shared namesake Jobert go oh, home oh by no means get him out of there he was around way too and long and as it seems maybe this show was because we are now on the final episode of Rap Battle and we have Kimberly her sworn nemesis Eddie his sister in Hacky showmanship, Anita, and her own woman at all times, Gigi. And we're going to get letters. I hope we do. So, like a mailbox. The first... <laughs> <laughs> So the first challenge in this final, possibly forever episode of Rap Battle was really weird and unexpected. It was also a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> so you were required to do a rapping demonstration that was filmed on camera. And all I could think the entire time was that scene in Miss Congeniality when she says, talent me up, baby. And he's like, I was not told to provide a talent. Every one of those people was like, I was not told I would have to demonstrate this shit. And the only one with experience whatsoever was PTA mom Kimberly. So here's my quick fix on how to fix the entire series very quickly. It makes everybody happy. It makes you happy. It makes probably every watcher happy. Let Kimberly host this goddamn show. How does that make me happy? Well, feel, so here, I feel like you've misread no, 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 the no, no, situation. No, 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 no. So here's what it is. You do not like... Well, I get, okay. So, because I feel like it's the competition and the editing that is bringing out the negativity in her. And I feel like if you give her no stakes, because she very clearly is a more competent on-air TV personality than three hosts. Two hosts, rotating guest judge, whatever. I feel like if you 
you put her in front of the camera for the entire series, she is more positive, she is better spoken, you do not have her in the competition, you sort of remove the producer's edits of making her that kind of feisty, negative person, it would solve more problems than it would cause. I'm almost positive of that. Yeah, okay, I love that. Kimberly the person, not Kimberly the character. I'm in. I have one edit to that, though. I do not say host. I say that she should be a judge like Wanda. I would much rather hear her very serious feedback on the art that we are seeing. I think that Cheryl and Carson should probably just be hosts. They're fun. They have great energy. And frankly, it's Cheryl's show, so I'm fine with her also having a vote. But like, I don't think that they took this show as seriously as some did. And I feel like this sequence is Eddie's entry to supervillainy. Like, this is his Gargamel backstory. And now he's going to destroy all of the Smurf presents forever because he is shamed in front of people. Yeah, his is quite possibly the worst of the four sequences. He stammers and he repeats his words. He panics. His final package is beautiful and that's something that you have to give him, but he he was not ready for TV, like, which is weird to say because they're on TV, but there's something very different about knowing this is going to be on TV eventually and, you know? Oh, for sure. I don't think that Gigi's elimination here made a lot of sense. They chalk it up to she had nothing really new or interesting to say, but like they expected them to prepare an on-air talent in two seconds, and that's kind of ridiculous. Really, at the end of the day, Eddie sucked worse, but Eddie had offered so much to the competition by way of polish, by way of ability. It kind of came down to Gigi and Anita both sort of like running the same tacky sphere. Did you want the more mainstream, or did you want the, for lack of a better term, kitschier because Kimberly really offers a very unique suburban perspective. Eddie gives, you know, that very queer perspective. Like, and I mean that really positively, like, you know, he really gives that HGTV polish that's really beautiful. And then you have Anita and Gigi who both do like a celebration of the season where they put the idea of the season ahead of the package. I feel like Kimberly's thing is cleverness. Eddie's thing is polish. And Gigi and Anita's thing is the festivity itself. I'm just very surprised that it was Gigi who got cut instead of Anita because the two people who sort of had the most dings on their sequence were Eddie and Anita. So the fact that they were the ones who got pushed through to the final round instead, like I was very surprised by that. But this was also a very strange challenge to have as the penultimate that chooses who your finalists are. I had not expected a mid-episode elimination, I guess, but sure enough, Gigi's elimination led to the final three being Eddie, Anita, and Kimberly. Except there's a Christmas miracle. Everybody comes back. Yay! Look at contestants, Wanda. It's the year of Avengers Endgame, so everyone has to come back from the dead, I guess. I like the way that they implement three teams of three here at the end. I was like, oh, maybe they actually know what they're doing after all. Huh, I actually had not noticed that, and I appreciate that insight. That is very true. You also described this in an earlier episode as the like why the fuckiest challenge. 
Yeah, because this is the very definition of a gift you just stick a bow on. Like, they have to wrap cars, and even in the commercials, where it's like, hey, don't you love your wife? Buy her a car for Christmas! Like, the the way that they wrap it is they just put a big old bow on top. They don't make it into a unicorn or a reindeer. Just put a big bow, you're done. And here's what I'll say. I don't have a problem with wrapping a car as a challenge. I agree with you that that's not exactly something that you would imagine someone generally wrapping, but the giant fucking purple, orange, and pink Christmas tree for a motorcycle helmet. The things they do on this show. I could see it being a challenge, but being the final challenge, I was talking about it with the boys. I think it was such a strange choice because this is a show about wrapping, like, gifts. Like, normal gifts. You know what I mean? Like, maybe three small gifts, two medium gifts, and one big gift that you have to wrap in three hours instead. And do something with that. One each in a specific style or something something but one giant present to wrap as the final challenge i don't necessarily believe that that is in the spirit of what they do there in gift wrapping you know what i mean or as rappers. It's not in the spirit of what they do as rappers. Now, I think the thing that got me the most was everybody showed a really interesting side to themselves I hadn't expected. Eddie's team was himself, Gigi, and Joe, and initially, Eddie was doing something totally different, but his ultimate product is fascinating. Anita has Anthony and Parker, leaving Kimberly to select Mia and be stuck with Olga. Okay, I have no negative opinion on her, but there was something about the way the producers cut together Kimberly's discussion of how she is Rudolph that made it really hard to root for her. That's a weird. Yeah. I don't want to defend Kimberly again because I don't actually care, but by this point I was definitely rooting for her, and I feel like this is again maybe just a strange editing producer's decision. But the fact that she said those things, like whether it was prompted or not, it feels like she is not Rudolph. I think that's what you're going back to <laughs> in episode five, right? Like everyone else is kind of Rudolph. She's not Rudolph. More importantly, Olga didn't know what Rudolph was, and that was a great moment of television history. That's very endearing. What did she ask if Rudolph was? Like a deer? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. That's the same thing. I was just happy to see Anthony come back and be super capable, and Anita gave him so many props. I hope she hired him. You mean Glamphony, who came back in full face and ready to serve? He came back like some sort of magical Christmas cockatoo, absolutely. And not only that, but ready to play the game. He was 100% there for Anita, and I think one of the most helpful people there, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. Okay, but now obviously it's all we want to talk about. Eddie's psychological breakdown. Everybody, it's that moment when he looks in the camera and says, We're changing plans! And he's like dramatically whispering to everybody. And it's the look on Gigi's face like, oh no. Well, what happened was first Eddie and Kimberly were doing the same thing. They were both doing reindeer and then Eddie unhinges and decides, no, it's gonna be a pineapple. Pineapples are festive and welcoming and southern tradition and it's gonna be a pineapple and he is just giving that wide-eyed Margot Kidder in a bush look. He's giving me 5,000% Nick Cage vibes during the pineapple revelation and I really hope you felt that with me, Joey. Well, now I'm casting Nick Cage as Eddie So has Nick Cage ever played a really classy gay before? I don't think he's ever played any kind of gay before. Oh, I think he would be a fantastic Eddie, though. I agree, 100%. I want Meryl Streep for Kimberly. Anna Paquin as Agla? Oh, oh my God. Oh, that was perfect. Although I also said that she looks just like Angela Kinsey. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but what about about Anna Camp? 
for Olga? Yes. Or I think it depends on what angle you want to take Agla. I think it depends if you want to make her funny or if you want to make her crazy or if you want to make her dramatic. I feel like whatever, you you need to pick a lane with Agla because I feel like this show, she kind of could go in any direction. I feel like the the way that you want to portray that character, if you want to call it a character, because it is, would depend on who you cast in that role. And meanwhile, your boy Nick Cage can play all of those directions in Eddie and that will be glorious. Of course. And like, I'm not casting by who looks like who, I'm like casting by actors I know that can embody that spirit and Timothy Chalamet as Joe. Yes. Okay. I need to see the red hair, but I'm with it. Okay. I'm about it. I'm about it. I want to see Retta as Mia. <gasps> yes. Oh, Vincent Rodriguez the third as Anthony. Wouldn't Retta be a better Parker? Well, for Parker, I want somebody young and wide-eyed. Like I would love a Nicole Byer for Parker. Just really give me that like wide-eyed kind of look when she's like beep, beep, it's not going anywhere anymore okay i love it i love it and Gigi, natasha leone oh i love <gasps> that i love natasha leone for oh Gigi. my god that's, true. that's that's i think that's the best one can Gigi just play Gigi? i'm in <laughs> i'm in for that so now that we've cast the film version of this <laughs> I just really loved Eddie saying I'm smarter and faster than Kimberly because I immediately burst out laughing saying I'm a smarter and faster chain. (laughs) So at the end of the day, it all just sort of came down to looking at them and going, okay. And I think I realized that that was all the competition ever came down to. And I think I realized just before they announced the winner, I don't care. Like, I realized in this, like, fiery moment, I'd watched six whole episodes about this show, and I honestly didn't care who won, because what I cared about was knowing that these people were going to continue being successful, so that Kimberly won, I'm cool with. I like knowing that these nine people now have a huge leg up in their careers to get to create and share this art, so I actually don't think I care who won, but great for Kimberly, and I hope she gets to be a part of the inevitable second season. And and I really loved that everyone came back for it and then we got to see them all interacting together and enjoying each other instead of sniping at each other which was nice I you know did not particularly root for Kimberly myself in terms of the competition but in terms of this final challenge well Eddie did a giant pineapple Anita did a giant pink and purple unicorn and Kimberly did a giant Rudolph and honestly who do I think is the best Christmas wrapping job of a car out of those three things yes hands down Kimberly and the nature of this competition is that it is kind of a crapshoot who's going to win based on what they're rapping what they're rapping with who they're rapping with what kind of mood they're in while they're rapping it it's as you said it's just kind of in the wind Joey this had to change your life uh, did it? You seem profoundly different than when we began this. So much of what you guys cover on this show is stuff that I love and adore or have deep respect for. And then you make me watch six hours of this show and I just uh, scratch my head a little bit. But, you know, I don't think any less of you. I don't like you any less. I just, uh, uh, you know, don't like this show. I love how simply you put it. I have to ask, do you feel you gleaned any value from watching it? How is this going to help your analysis and interpretation of the 
Fast and the Furious franchise as a whole. How does this change how you feel about Cars? I think, if anything, it made me realize that getting a show on air seems a lot easier than it ever did before, which I guess is a positive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I feel that way when I watch trailers for Christmas movies on Hulu. Yeah, there's a lot of channels out there. The technology has come to a point where you can film a movie that looks beautiful on your iPhone, just watch Tangerine, uh, High Flying Bird. There are movies by Sean Baker and Steven Soderbergh that are both beautiful looking, both shot on iPhone. You you can go make this movie and uh, get it sold and put it on TV because clearly Freeform is in need of content. But now, I really do need to point out that I absolutely need Battle of the Bulge and it's the rap battle movie with the cast we put together and I needs it now. Make it on an iPhone. I'm in. We just gotta get financing. Nick Cage does anything for Superman things. So what we'll do is we'll stand in an Elvis suit and we'll attach some Superman stuff to a bindle and we'll stand behind the bush and we'll lure him. Jonah, you have watched so many, so many countless hours of pageantry nonsense. How did this stack up? And what do you think the panel of Project Runway would have to say about these people? And how does this make you a better fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise? I think Heidi would say, you are all out. Goodbye. Alfita-san. And Nina would just be like, all of this is weird. I mean, it's fine, but you need to learn how to edit. It's a matter of taste. And then Michael Kors would say, like, well, she just looked like a hooker who'd get a blow out of her hoo-ha, or something along those lines. <laughs> he really would. He would be like, I mean, the only thing she's missing is the crack den and the Cadillac Seville up in the front being driven by a guy named Freddy. And, like, everything he says sounds like a Mrs. Maisel bit. Yes, absolutely. Do I think it made me better understand the Fast and Furious movies? No, I don't think so. Maybe. Why are we doing any of this? I think for a show cutting its teeth for the first time, I think it was okay. The best show on air? No. What do I think is the best version of this show? Again, no. Something that, Kevo, you've said these past few episodes, something I was thinking about is this is marketed as a Christmas show and a a Christmas and holiday show. But a lot of times they never really focused on that. And I wish there was more emphasis on the holidays. It, It felt like that part was missing a lot of times throughout this competition. And I really wish there was more of that. And if you wanted to do a show that was just about, like, general rapping, sure, go ahead. But don't slap Christmas on something. We watch the Christmas stuff for Christmas. And, you know, Hanukkah or for Jewish. You know, all the holidays. But, like, if you're going to tell us that it's a holiday show, make it the holidays. Don't just, like, give us this pink and purple and orange non-Christmas. And again, please do give us all sorts of holidays. I loved seeing Hanukkah represented as an element of a multicultural challenge, but why wasn't there decorate these eight amazing gifts all different and they're each different sizes? Why wasn't there an entire Kwanzaa challenge? Why wasn't there a Chinese New Year's challenge? Yes. There are so many ways to use the expressive elements that bind our cultures together to show the strength of commonality through diversity. And I love that Freeform made a lot of really good strides towards hitting that but for my money it just fell a little short again I want to congratulate Kimberly on her win I want to congratulate Anita on winning my heart I want to congratulate Eddie on losing his mind and all other six contestants for coming back Joey if you could sum up your feelings about rap battle in just a few words what would they be nope
exquisite. Jonah, what would be yours? This is in the spirits of what we do as rappers. I'm really happy with what we got. Terrific. Kevo, if you had a couple of words to sum up this show, what would they be? If you're going to be a chain, be faster, be stronger, be smarter, and remember, sabotage is for people who do not have the skills to win. And for me, I think it boils down to this was the best white nonsense since cocaine. I want to thank all of you guys for coming out and sharing in this awesome holiday office party. Joey, until you grace this gorgeous show again, where can everybody find you hiding from us? Well, every Tuesday, the same day as this show comes out, you can catch Too Fast, Too Forever, our Fast and the Furious podcast, which Nico has mentioned 85 times tonight, and I thank him so much for that. He also made our theme song for that show, so I thank him again for that. Too Fast, Too Forever, every Tuesday, then every Friday, another thing Nico mentioned hours and hours ago, uh, Tom Tom Club, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Hanks from the Memories, and Cruise Club, alternating Fridays, every two weeks is Tom Cruise, every two weeks is Tom Hanks. This episode is going to come out, oh, New Year's Eve, which means the next episode that comes out, I think, is going to be War of the Worlds, maybe, on Cruise Club? So go check that out. But every Tuesday, every Friday, go to cageclub.me slash shows. Check out all 26 of our programs. And, you know, just say hi. I'm at Soul Pop just about everywhere on the internet. Phenomenal. Jonah, until our next episode of X's for Podcast, where can everybody find you? If you would like to hear more of my opinions, especially about comic books and the X-Men comic book franchise, you can find me over on X's for Podcast on shows such as 80s Mutant Mania and We Are Krakoa. Or you can reach out to me online on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Incredible. That's nonsense. Kevo, how about you, handsome? I know everybody can find us making Kid Riot over at Kid Riot Comics, our super cool, super inclusive superhero comic, but where else can everybody find you? Well, you can find me kicking around on the Facebook page for this show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action, which is also the handle for our joint Instagram and Tumblr. But say it with me, not Twitter. That is at Real Nico Kevo Ack, A-C-K, stupid character limits. Or you can find my shiz here, there, and everywhere at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And Nico, where can the folks find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network. We have an incredible slate of shows coming out in 2020. We will be presenting Star Wars and 2020 Vision, a look back on an amazing series in the form of Force Legacy. Don't forget to keep checking out X's for Podcast, where we have on Mondays a look at the previous week's X-Men books, and on Throwback Thursdays, we take a walk down memory lane into the 80s for 80s Mutant Mania, where we examine the X-Men as it became the franchise we know and love today. Mostly love. Usually love. Sometimes that makes us cry. Sometimes it's good tears. Sometimes it's sad tears. You can also find me taking off my shirt and sometimes ugly crying on Instagram at Nico Action. It's a good combination of ugly crying and taking off my shirt. And that's Nico Action, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, it's been an incredible year. I think Kevo and I released, between the two of us, like 120-something podcasts on this incredible network. I probably talked more on this network than in real life. I absolutely believe that. And it has been a tremendous, tremendous gift to get to share it with Jonah. And we wouldn't be able to do it without Joey. So thank you both so much again. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Joey. Of course. You're welcome. Thank you. It's fitting that this episode drops on December 31st because this is going to be our longest episode of HTML to date. And there's no better way to say goodbye to a cool year than to play it out with our very own holiday theme song. And so from our family here in 2019 to yours in 2020 until we come around to kick your asses, we love you and we like you. And sometimes we don't even want to talk to you right now. And we'll see you. See you next year, folks.
Bye. Goodbye. Yay. Well, you know the season is very and bright, and it's the HTML holiday special time. Pico, Kevo, and Jonah bringing you that holiday smile. Also, Joey. Have a cage club high.